On this staff edition episode of the ASC podcast with John Gailey, we provide an overview of the regulations that govern ambulatory surgery centers. Welcome to the ASC podcast with John Gailey, the longest running podcast specifically focused on the freestanding ambulatory surgery industry. This episode is sponsored by Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies. The ASC regulatory environment is increasingly challenging, but organizations that outsource their regulatory oversight to Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies have an edge. HS works with ASCs to oversee their quality improvement program, run their meetings, develop educational programs, and always be prepared for surveys. For more information or to schedule a consultation, visit our website at ah-strategies.com, email us at info at ah-strategies.com, or call John Gailey directly at 585-594-1167. Welcome to episode 129 of the staff edition of the ASC podcast with John Gailey for April 20th, 2021, recording from our studios in Spencerport, New York. This is Susan Cronkite, Chief Researcher for the ASC Podcast with John Gailey and Senior Nurse Consultant for Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies. Joining me is John Gailey, the owner of Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies and recognized as one of the nation's leading experts in the ambulatory surgery industry. Mr. Gailey is the author of over 10 books on the ASC industry and a frequent industry speaker on regulatory accreditation and finance issues. So we are back after a month and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have all kinds of problems. Was it that long? It has been uh, for the staff edition. <laughs> has yes. it? Oh my! Uh, so we are apologetic to our wonderful listeners. So don't tell your administrators. But the the staff edition has twice as many listeners as the regular mm-hmm. edition. So yep. I suspect that's because you know in it's any short. given surgery center. <laughs> well, that too. Uh, she said it, it, it because it's short. But I think yeah. it's also because multiple people from one center probably mm-hmm. are listening to this. Yeah. And uh, so it's been very successful. We apologize for any uh, technical problems uh, because it's been so long. We've been so busy as we always are that uh, we we actually had some problems with the studio. The software had to be upgraded and well frankly we kind of forgot how to use some of this equipment here. So we're <laughs> we're getting there. Um, so Sue, when I was uh, working we, we had decided that we wanted to do a staff edition on quality improvement. Mm-hmm. And as I was thinking about the content, you know, I was thinking about the way I was going to present it and it dawned on me that Many staff people probably don't have the background in what Mm -hmm. the regulatory environment looks like. You know, Mm -hmm. you kind of know intuitively that (laughs) obviously ambulatory surgery centers are very highly regulated, but we don't have a context for it. So I thought that this uh, edition, the staff edition, would probably Mm -hmm. be a a good way to uh, introduce just very basic information about the regulatory environment. Yep, sort of Uh, kind of an overview just so you see how everything fits in. Right, exactly. And of course, we're going to give you references for other places that you can go. Mm -hmm. Uh, So definitely look at the show notes for this because you'll be able to click and, and go right into this. And you could be uh, – uh, w- one of the nice things about this I always felt is that the more staff know about the rules and regulations mm-hmm. and the standards, uh, yeah. the better they are to answer the questions that those doctors ultimately ask us, which are, show me where the this is the regulation. Mm-hmm. So, And it, it is always helpful to know why you're doing all the things that you do, right. that they're not just random requirements. I think some of our clients think I just make this stuff mm-hmm. up sometimes. but <laughs> Just uh, to keep them busy. Just to it's keep them busy. Yeah, like you right. don't have enough to do. <laughs> you know, we, we don't <laughs> I want you to get bored in your jobs. And, <laughs> but truly, and this is important for you as staff too, mm-hmm. to understand is that uh, there is a reason behind all of this. Not always a great reason, I'll admit. I mean, often I have to say to our clients when I'm talking to them, when they ask me why this regulation mm-hmm. is in place, I, I'll just have to say I really – 
uh, it is the way it is. You know, I yeah. can't answer for it. I can't say why mm-hmm. uh, they created it. You know, there might have been a history back there. Uh, one challenge that you always have when you're dealing with both laws and regulations is that nobody ever gets rid of laws or regulations. Mm-hmm. They just pile on more. Um, during the pandemic, one of the challenges that we had as uh, as consultants in ambulatory surgery centers is that sometimes we had to say, you know, we've got three different regulations at play here and two of them conflict with each other. So you're going to violate one of those regulations or one of those standards. You just have to choose which one you you, you mm-hmm. do that way. And that, that's a problem that it's not just amb- – it's just not healthcare mm-hmm. that has that problem. Um, when you have as complicated a regulatory environment as we have in the United States, you're going to have situations where those things conflict. So let's uh, introduce the regulatory environment of ambulatory surgery centers. Ambulatory surgery centers are some of the most highly regulated healthcare organizations in the country. It is a misnomer to think that hospitals are more heavily regulated than ambulatory surgery centers. And we talk about this a lot with our clients. Many doctors will come to us when we tell them that they have these regulations and mm-hmm. they'll say, well, we don't have to do that in the hospital. hear that um, a lot. Yeah, a lot. And, and, and Well, there's two things. First off, they maybe they aren't required to, but also just because they're not doing it someplace else doesn't mean it's not a requirement. Well said, <laughs> because uh, I've run into that a lot. I, mm-hmm. Just recently, we had doctors coming up to me, and, and I was telling them, you need to label drugs that you're not mm-hmm. using right away. I don't have to do that in the hospital. Well, I can assure you, you have to do that in the hospital also. Um, but, I mean, I don't know if he was lying to me mm-hmm. or more likely, you know, unfortunately, they, they might not have been enforcing it as well mm-hmm. uh, in that environment. And I think an important thing to understand about the regulatory environment for ambulatory surgery centers is they It was meant to to protect patients. Mm -hmm. There was a feeling when ambulatory surgery centers were first developed some 50 years ago that when you started doing these procedures in an outpatient basis, patients were going to be at risk, more at risk than in Mm -hmm. a hospital, of course. And they felt that they needed to create regulations to protect them. So there are more, indeed, many more regulations uh, specifically governing an ambulatory surgery center compared to what you would find in an outpatient surgical department in a hospital. So let's start by talking about the differences in regulations and terminology. So uh, as staff members, you're going to sound extremely intelligent if you get one basic thing understood, and that is ambulatory surgery centers throughout the United States are basically state-licensed, federally certified, and optionally, they might be accredited. So there are – you have licensure regulations, you have certification regulations, and then optionally, you might also be accredited. And the certification is Medicare or, or CMS, right? That's correct. Exactly. So let's start with the state. Uh, almost every state in the United States requires an ambulatory surgery center to be licensed if they're going to operate as an ambulatory surgery center, uh, which means that you have a separate set of regulations that have been developed by your state, which many times, by the way, mirror the federal certification regulations, but mm-hmm. always have some nuances. Uh, New York, of course, Sue, uh, you and I spend a lot of time in New York. Yes. We live in New York. Uh, and an example in New York of a regulation that's in place that's not in place in other parts of the mm-hmm. Uh, country, our, our famous uh, requirement for a medical record consultant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, in New York, a medical record consultant is required. I don't actually know of any other state that that's required. And just before we delve into this, if people are thinking, but what if they conflict? What if they're not the same? If they conflict, obviously that's an issue, but otherwise you always follow the more stringent, correct? That's correct, right. And that would be a good example. The Fed, mm-hmm. you know, the CMS does not require a uh, medical record consultant, mm-hmm. but since the state does, you have to have one. 
Yeah. Uh, it especially becomes important and you know, even especially I think probably in life safety areas where um, the states often have more stringent regulations than, than there are at the certification or at the Medicare level. So state licensure is uh, is almost always the case in, uh, for amateur surgery centers in the country. Then to be Medicare uh, certified, to be able to bill the Medicare program and by extension the Medicaid program, uh, you have to have what we refer to as certification, which means that you are federally certified or certified by Medicare or the better terminology here is CMS, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid mm -hmm. Services certifies you. When we refer to Medicare regulations, what we're actually referring to is the conditions for coverage, which we're going to get into in a few minutes. But the, the, the conditions for coverage are that that term is synonymous with Medicare regulations mm -hmm. in the ambulatory surgery industry. Then optionally uh, in some states or required in some states mm -hmm. is accreditation. For example, in New York and a couple of other very large states, you are required if you are a Medicare certified and state licensed facility to also be accredited. So Sue uh, is beyond the scope of, of this very simple, mm -hmm. hopefully 15 mm -hmm. to 20 minute uh, session, though we're already at nine minutes. Uh, to, to go into the, each of the states. Mm -hmm. So if you, uh, if you are in a state and you most likely are where there are state regulations, um, you, uh, you can search on, you know, your state uh, Department of Health's website yep. to find out what those regulations are. Uh, if you're a podcast member, if you're a member, a patron member, uh, we provide actually uh, references to uh, virtually every state's regulations, uh, on our online system. Mm -hmm. but, so let's talk about the most important regulations though of, and that's the federal certification mm -hmm. requirements. And this is, as I said, referred to as the conditions for coverage. So the conditions for coverage, or CFC, uh, are by far the most common regulations that you're going to encounter every day in the ambulatory surgery setting. And this is available, and there's going to be a link in the uh, the show notes. Please look at the show notes because there's a lot of great information up there today uh, to be able to see, get a link directly into those regulations. And that, the, the link that you'll get is actually to uh, the, the regulations uh, updated as of the time that you download it. So those things are constantly updated. But of course, when you have regulations, you have another issue, and that is how do you interpret those regulations? Because the regulations are about 30 to 40 pages long, which are relatively high level. But it's difficult to interpret something like you must have a quality improvement program. That's what the regulation would say. There is what we refer to as the interpretive guidelines. And the interpretive guidelines are a set of standards. That the official name is actually a state operations manual. Mm -hmm. The interpretive guidelines provide guidance to surveyors when they survey a, a surgery center. So all ambulatory surgery centers are subject to regulation, usually on a, a triannual basis. And when those surveyors come out, either from the state or from an accrediting organization, they're going to use the interpretive guidelines to uh, interpret the regulations and mm -hmm. determine whether you are in compliance. And if you look at the, the interpretive guidelines, which I encourage you to do, you're actually going to see exactly what the surveyors look like. We, we mm -hmm. refer to this as an open book test. Mm -hmm. And you're going to be able to see exactly what steps the surveyors will go through. There's actually a section saying uh, survey activities. Uh, and then there's a usually a bullet point under there as to each of the things that the surveyors are going to have to do in order to determine whether a facility is in compliance with the conditions for coverage. Mm -hmm. And because, of course, the interpretive guidelines uh, are not enough, we have what we call the clarifications. The main reason that we have clarifications is because the interpretive guidelines are only updated perhaps every two to three years. And right now we are in the middle of uh, – we've been waiting for updated interpretive guidelines for about two years now. 
now uh, in the latter stages of the Trump administration and then coming, of course, there was a whole election year and uh, I think we had a pandemic or something like that last year. Um, there really wasn't much time for CMS to go out and do, um, you know, an update, a major update mm -hmm. to the interpretive guidelines. We are expecting it out now. I do suspect it will be delayed even further because, of course, there is a new administration. Mm -hmm. There's new administrators, of course, at CMS, and it will take them a while to kind of, you know, get a feel for what's going on. And, and they're probably going to be prioritizing the areas, probably more uh, hospital and nursing homes than they are going to uh, mm -hmm. be uh, making updates to the uh, ASCs. Uh, but we've been surprised before. It could very well be that we'll get them tomorrow, uh, and then I'll look like a fool. Um, so, so while we're waiting for new interpretive guidelines, clarifications come out. So. I will try to provide a link to the clarification section. Okay. It's a little bit harder to find the clarifications because you have to, it's not easy uh, mm -hmm. to look at them. But I will uh, I will get you a link to it, and then I'll probably try to give you instructions as to how to find the most okay. recent clarifications. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, what happens when you go to the clarification page? The oldest clarifications show up first, which makes absolutely mm -hmm. no sense at all. So, in order to determine that a surgery center is in compliance with licensure regulations. Uh, certification regulations and any accreditation uh, standards that you might have if you're accredited, your ambulatory surgery center is going to be subject to a survey. And there's three different levels or three different organizations that could do your survey. The state could be doing your survey. That is actually extremely common. Uh, and the state is, uh, like if you are in the state of California, the Department of Health in that state uh, does state surveys to determine that you're in compliance with the state regulations. Uh, they will. They are also the contractor for CMS to do a federal certification mm -hmm. uh, if you're not uh, deemed. And we're going to talk about deemed in a few minutes. So state regulators, for the most part, come out to uh, either – determine your compliance with the state regulations or acting on behalf of CMS. There is also the possibility that you would actually be certified or surveyed by the federal government, uh, by CMS directly. That's extremely rare. Uh, and actually in my, my lifetime, I've, I've not really seen, I've seen surveyors come out to uh, observe state surveyors or accreditation surveyors uh, when they're doing the survey, but it's mm -hmm. very rare that you would see a CMS. I, I think it's safe to say if CMS showed up at your doorstep to do a survey, you probably um, are in some trouble. Probably something's happened. Something's yep. happened, right. And then the last organization or set of organizations that could be doing surveys are, of course, the accrediting organizations. And there's uh, two things that they could be doing. One, they could just be out there for an accreditation survey. Uh, which means that it's an announced survey. You know when they're going to show up, mm -hmm. and they're they're checking for your compliance with uh, the accreditation standards. So you know the major organizations out there that accredit ambulatory surgery centers are like the uh, AAAC, the Accreditation Association for Ambulatory Healthcare, uh, the Joint Commission, HFAP, which is Health Facilities Accreditation Program, or Quad ASF. All four of those organizations do also what we call deemed status surveys. So let's talk about deemed status because many of your organizations probably are deemed status, which means that your organization has contracted with one of the accreditation organizations, mm -hmm. one of the four that I mentioned, for example. Uh, and again, those organizations are the Joint Commission, HHC, Quad ASF, or HFAP. And uh, that organization, that accredited organization, actually comes out to do two things. They do an accreditation survey to make sure you're in compliance with the accreditation standards. And they're also doing a Medicare survey or a CMS survey to determine that you're in compliance with the conditions for coverage. 
Uh, it's a very efficient way of doing a survey, but it does cost you money. And that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons that cert- that organizations might not do it. But one of the nice things about a deemed status survey is that you only have one survey every three years. Whereas if you are not deemed and you're accredited, you might have or will have two surveys usually within a three-year cycle. And what about the validation surveys? Oh, of course you have to bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> Just to throw something else Just on to top. throw something else it, as, as if, it, if it wasn't already complicated. <laughs> But the accrediting organizations are subject to uh, oversight by Mm -hmm. CMS. Uh, And what uh, can happen is CMS will tell the state, hey, I want you to pop in and and do another survey after – Triple H C, for example, did an, a, a deem status think uh, survey. Surveying the surveyors, kind exactly. of seeing how they did. Now, these uh, we actually talked about this a couple episodes mm-hmm. ago. That um, that those validation surveys are being phased out. I don't mm-hmm. know when they're going to be phased out completely, and and what's going to happen in the future is, uh, and for surveyors like myself, this kind of scares the heck out of me. Yeah, they're going to be at the same time, right? The whole group is going to show <laughs> That's up. That's right. We uh, we had a survey at one of our uh, actually it was one of our office-based surgery mm-hmm. centers act, uh, a couple weeks ago. And, and it was one of these small places mm-hmm. and four surveyors from the state showed up. Um, there wasn't room yeah. for them. And of course, if, if, if you have a deemed status survey and you got mm-hmm. two survey members yeah. and the state shows up, they rarely show up with less than three. Mm-hmm. You're going to have five people there, yeah. you know, and three of them watching over the shoulders of the other mm-hmm. two. I Very can't intimidating. Imagine. But honestly, this way they would have a more accurate read on how the surveyors are doing because every day... Everything looks so different, so it's That's the same correct. thing why people feel like they've got had a good survey and they don't need to worry, but it's just it depends what's happening each day, what they look at. So this probably does give them a better I feeling. Th- I think so. Uh, now, I do encourage you to go back and look at that episode. I don't remember what the episode number is offhand, but you might want to look at the, uh, listen to that episode because uh, CMS, uh, in their most recent audit of survey activity have found that some of the survey organizations mm-hmm. are not doing as good a job as others are doing. Yeah. So uh, you might want to listen to it just to kind of know where your particular organization fits. Because, And here's my, my reason for saying this. If you are uh, accredited by one of the organizations that didn't do so well, mm-hmm. be prepared for much tougher surveys in the future. The fact that you did well could be an indicator, you know, that maybe they didn't do um, as mm-hmm. thorough a survey as yeah. uh, they should have done uh, under CMS standards. But if you take a look at all these resources that you're talking about, John, you know, it, you'll be able to see what you're supposed to do. You can kind of survey yourself by seeing whether you meet all these standards. Right. And then, it, you know, you don't just have to worry about it. You can actually take action and get things done. Absolutely. This is an open book test. We've said mm. this over and over yeah. again, and it's so true, is that this is an open book test. So just, you know, pull out the uh, regulations, pull mm. out the interpretive guidelines and get to know them. And I think I, I think it's important for staff to know these things. Mm. I think a, a good administrator out there is probably making this available. Not everybody's going to want to read them. i frankly not sure I want to read them half the time. Mm. Uh, and I certainly don't memorize them as, as well known as I am mm-hmm. for understanding the regulations and interpreting the regulations and interpreting the interpretive guidelines. Um, I don't have them all, you know, in my head at mm-hmm. any given time. And, but you know where to find them. And you can always divide them up among your staff depending on who's right. responsible for what area. You know, have everybody kind of pitch in and 
get a good overall feel for how you're doing. That's right. You know, become uh, a subject area expert, for example. Mm -hmm. And we really encourage, uh, you know, all staff members to be, you know, participative in this mm -hmm. and, and uh, you know, find your niche. Um, it'll yeah. make your job much more interesting and, and, of course, give you some job satisfaction, too. Mm -hmm. Or present a different area at, at some of the staff meetings, like right. how they, they'll have, you know, policy of the week some places will do it. You can right. have sort of regulation of the month. Right. I don't know. <laughs> that sounds, sounds <laughs> and that's what we do during our retreats, in fact, is that we assign certain things for uh, each of our staff members here to kind of research and then present mm -hmm. to the entire group. I think that's always a very a very good way of doing things. Uh, or I, here's a, a shameless plug for <laughs> one of my books, or you can buy my survey guide for ASCs, which presents all the federal regulations, interpretive guidelines, and applicable clarifications in one nicely cross-referenced book. And it is available on Amazon.com as well as any major uh, book uh, site uh, or at ASCpodcast.com. You can also get a reference to it. Um, and many of your organizations probably have a copy of it already in, uh, in your library. So uh, do take a look to see if it's there. And of course, there's more than just those regulations that we have to worry about. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, because as I mentioned, amateur surgery centers are most, some of the most highly regulated mm -hmm. uh, organizations uh, in healthcare. Uh, there are other things we have to think about. One, one thing is, it's not even a regulation, it's the community yeah. standard. Mm -hmm. um, we ran into a situation where um, a uh, one of the doctors, I, I'm embarrassed to say that this was a client of ours, but uh, he was quickly put in his place. But he, he came back and said, where does it say in writing that I have to do an operative report? Now, I clearly misunderstood why he asked that question. I don't know where he was going with that. but um, And he said, can you show me the regulation? Well, there is no regulation mm -hmm. that Standard states, of care. It's right. a standard yeah. of care, absolutely. And, and you know, every uh, surgeon in the country who has gone through education uh, knows that they need to do an operative report. Or, or it might not be put in that term, but mm -hmm. they have to uh, develop a document that summarizes all mm -hmm. the things that they did to the patient. So if a doctor does ask, well, it's a standard of care, it's not written anywhere, can I be cited for this? Well, you know, you, you just stumped me <laughs> because – Yay. <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting concept because, you know, certainly if you don't have an operative report, I'm going to cite you for it. Um, I'm going to cite you in another area though by not having a complete medical record. Mm -hmm. yes. So I think the answer to your question is that there are many cases in the interpretive guidelines where they actually refer mm -hmm. to the community standards. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, you can't let – you know, logic go out the door. Mm -hmm. You know, as a matter of fact, I, I I can't say for sure that there is actually a regulation that states you have to hand, wash your hands between procedures. Yeah, yeah. Some but, of it is just inferred in order to reach this certain standard of care or regulatory right um, requirement for you know maybe preventing infections. Part of that might be these different steps that you have to take that right. aren't going to be specifically listed, but you better be doing it. That's right. Well, in the case of hand hygiene, for mm -hmm. example, it doesn't state it in the CMS regulations, but it is in, you know, the uh, the CDC mm -hmm. uh, requirements. Um, and that gets to the next point is that there are many other organizations and, and uh, in order not to uh, bore everybody, in order to keep this <laughs> to less than 30 minutes, uh, I know when we started, I think we said 20 minutes. We're already uh, talking 30 minutes here. Uh, there are some other organizations that mm -hmm. you're going to have to follow regulations. You know, the, probably the, the one at the top of everybody's list is OSHA. Yeah. Um, you have the uh, the OSHA uh, regular standards, which, mm -hmm. you know, talk about making sure that you don't have any tripping hazards or chemical hazards, et cetera. But, of course, in healthcare, the one that's probably the most important to us or extremely important to us is mm -hmm. the bloodborne pathogen yeah. uh, regulations. And OSHA 
violations are expensive. You yeah. always say that. So that's that, something that you better keep in mind. So that brings up an interesting topic because when you're subject to a survey, um, you're not going to get fined. States, some states do fine organizations mm -hmm. for failure to meet the standards, but CMS doesn't, mm -hmm. uh, nor does the accrediting organization. I mean, you already pay the accrediting organization to do yep. the, the survey. And a resurvey will be expensive, so there is money involved <laughs> That's right. there. There's money involved, but there's no there's no like penalty mm -hmm. or fine. Uh, but as Sue just alluded to, if you violate an OSHA standard, um, you, you will get fined, and that mm -hmm. figure can be extremely high. We've yeah. talked about this on some of the podcasts, that, and it's happened to me a couple times on some new clients we've picked up where I walk in and I find out that they're using N95 masks and they don't, they weren't even aware that in order to use an N95 mask, you have to have uh, three things, a fit test, a medical evaluation, and you have to have in place a, a respiratory protection program. And if OSHA had walked into those centers and had seen that they were not doing those things, you know, they would be subject to a fine. Mm -hmm. And then there's the Department of Labor. So th those are those wonderful regulations that govern, you know, how we uh, treat our employees mm -hmm. and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, issues like uh, breaks and, yep. uh, you know, salaries and, and wages, overtime, things like that. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, there's the HIPAA regulations, mm -hmm. which we all know and love and hopefully we all uh, know by now, uh, which govern uh, patient privacy. Mm -hmm. Fraud and abuse regulations. And those those are regulations in place to make sure because there's always bad actors in in, mm -hmm. in, in every industry, yeah. and there are people out there that choose to uh, defraud the, the government by uh, billing for cases that they didn't do, mm -hmm. or uh, upcoding and things like that, or just abusing the system. So uh, there are fraud mm -hmm. abuse regulations, and hopefully all of you have been uh, educated on uh, your obligations to make sure that uh, your organization is following those rules. Mm -hmm. And the anti-kickback. So the anti-kickback regulations actually refer to um, making sure that an organization doesn't give an incentive to a doctor to bring his cases mm -hmm. uh, that he doesn't deserve. I mean, uh, we know that the, when the doctor comes to work at a center, they'll be able to bill for their professional component. Mm -hmm. But that's all. They shouldn't be getting money. They shouldn't get be getting, you know, dollars for yeah. every case that they do there because that would sound like you are inducing that doctor to mm -hmm. come to your center, which is not fair. Yeah. And we always know, of course, that there are DEA regulations. Uh, the Drug Enforcement Agency oversees the drugs and, and pharmaceuticals in your organization. Yeah. And I'm sure there's more. That's right. <laughs> but since we're at uh, 29 <laughs> minutes right now, I think we we will probably yeah. stop at this point. Yeah. Um, but I, I hope this has given everyone a very good overview of what uh, the regulatory environment looks like. We will continue to talk about this mm -hmm. uh, periodically. And I, I wanted to introduce this because what we're going to do in some of our future episodes mm -hmm. is to refer back to either – uh, or both the conditions for mm -hmm. coverage and the interpretive guidelines so you can see what the context is for each of the things that we're going to talk about. Yeah, so. and we can get more specific with each single one. This is just kind of a good overview. So Right. So thank you very much. And, of course, if you have questions or something that you would like us to talk about sometime, just send us an email at comments at ASCPodcast.com and let us know a general subject area or something specific you'd like some questions answered. And thank you very much for listening. And uh, and please pass the message on to your colleagues that uh, this podcast is available. That would really help us a lot. Thank you for being a loyal listener of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey. But did you know that you can enhance your experience and support the free podcast by becoming a patron member? 
Patreon members have access to ASC Central, an add-on service at a very reasonable price. Patron members have access to our regular drop-in virtual meetings where you can discuss issues that you are dealing with in your ambulatory surgery center with the hosts and other members. Members also have access to valuable member resources, including a, a document library with a growing list of resources, including the rules and regulations, guides to maintaining compliance, example policies and procedures, infection control resources, example risk assessments, example committee and governing body minutes, and over 60 disaster drill scenario kits and example forms and checklists. Members also have access to some of the virtual conferences that we have presented, including the Provider Credentialing Conference, which we offered in December 2020. It's a New World Conference in 2020. Infection Control in-service to meet the challenges of COVID-19. And the ASC Mandatory Education Program, which is a valuable resource for annual education for your staff. Membership helps to defray the cost of producing the podcast, including the research staff, travel costs to conferences, equipment costs, and production costs. For more information, you may visit ASCPodcast.com. To become a member, visit ASCPodcast.com. We would like to thank our sponsor, Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies, the nation's leading regulatory compliance resource for ambulatory surgery centers. For more information about their services, please visit ah-strategies.com, email them at info at ah-strategies.com, or call John Gailey directly at 585-594-1167. This podcast is an educational and operational tool and is not intended to be a comprehensive resource for all rules, regulations, and standards that an ambulatory surgery center must meet. The advice provided should not be considered as, nor does it constitute legal advice or opinion. When reviewing specific situations involving legal and regulatory issues, attorneys and other professionals should be consulted. This has been a production of Eden Group Development. All rights are reserved. If you're interested in advertising or sponsoring the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, please email us at info at ASCPodcast.com. We would love to hear your comments and questions. Please email us at comments at ASCPodcast.com. <laughs>